0: This podcast is part of the Big Data Beard's virtual race to Splunk.com. Be sure to tune in to all the racing action by visiting youtube.com forward slash Big or simply visit bigdatabeard.com and click virtualrace to .com. You're listening to The Big Data Beard. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton. I'm joined by my co-host, Tom West. And uh, today is another great day of the virtual race to races. Today's race is sponsored by our friends at Splunk. And uh, we're excited to welcome uh, another guest from Splunk to talk to us today about an. Uh, a topic that maybe some of you know about, maybe some of you are, are super close to it. I know it's one, an area that is super interesting to uh, to Tom West and I, and it's really around observability. And we've invited Karthik Rao, VP of Observability at Splunk, to join us. Karthik, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Corey. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. Well, so here, here's the thing. I, I I wanted to start with... Uh, get a little bit of background from you because as far as I understand it, you've got a pretty cool history in the world of observability uh, even prior to joining Splunk. So why don't you tell us us a little bit about what you've been doing over the past few years in the world of observability?
1: Yeah, sure. I've been in cloud uh, before cloud really was the thing. I, uh, Worked at a company called LoudCloud back in the dot-com days, which was trying to do AWS and GCP and Azure doing today back, back in those days. Um, and so kind of have had a front seat to kind of all of these modern trends, uh, you know, well before the rest of the world saw it. Um, but I was previously the founder and CEO of a company called SignalFX, which Splunk acquired uh, in October of last year. And SignalFX really was a purpose-built uh, solution Uh, for observability uh, built by, you know, the team, you know, my co-founder and and many of our early engineers had come out of Facebook and had built the observability systems at Facebook in the late uh, 2000s.
0: Nice. So I want to, before we get too far, I want to talk a little bit about observability as a a concept. Would you mind giving us just a, a quick primer on kind of the core tenets of what observability is and what it's, you know, seeking to accomplish in the application development space?
1: Sure. So the way I think about it is, observability really is the evolution of what we've all called monitoring for the past thirty years. It's kind of a superset of of what we've been doing in monitoring. When you think about uh, you know the way that systems have historically been architected, you you have these more monolithic systems. Um, you didn't have the data analytics capabilities that have become available in the last you know five to ten years, and so. For the most part, the way that you would monitor your systems is you look at key uh, performance metrics, and you know, that you know indicate a failure condition, and you alert if those performance metrics or you know any of those availability metrics are unusual, right, or, or or bad. That was monitoring, monitoring all of the known failure conditions. What's changed in the past ten years is that the applications have become a lot more complex as you move towards you know cloud architectures. You know instead of having one big monolithic system. Yeah, this gets split up into VMs, which gets split up into containers, which get orchestrated by systems like Kubernetes. And so you just have a lot more moving pieces. The applications are getting more complex because you're no longer dealing with a big monolithic piece of software. But, you know, when you click a purchase on Amazon uh, uh, cart, you're probably hitting dozens or hundreds of microservices behind the scenes. And if any one of those goes wrong, like you could have an issue. And so, you have a far more complex application landscape you've got a much higher rate of change because now people are updating their software kind of almost on a daily basis right uh, in a lot of places and so what's happened is the the volume of changes and the surface area of potential problem introductions has just grown exponentially now this has come at the benefit of speed but if you want to manage that well you really need to rethink how you do monitoring and that's where observability comes in observability is about not just monitoring and, and watching the known field conditions, but trying to collect as much data as possible and instrumenting your entire application stack and infrastructure stack to get all of the data that you possibly can. And then having the right set of tools, analytics tools, real time, um, uh, metrics analysis, real-time trace analysis, real-time log analysis, so that when you have a problem, you can very quickly identify you know, what's causing that needle in a haystack issue and making sure that, A, you have all the data and that B, you have the right analytics to kind of get to, to the right data at the right time. So observability really is this practice of instrumenting everything and then leveraging uh, analytics to kind of pinpoint problems more quickly as they emerge
0: yeah well, a lot of you know a lot of times in, in it we've you know we've always looked at logs as the you know the kind of the source of data that you know matters most. and you mentioned logs are clearly part of the the process. Mm-hmm. but but I often hear you know when we talk with application development folks, they talk about this concept of uh, you know metrics, obviously measurements, but also this this concept of a trace. So in the application development world, how does you know kind of how do those differ from one another and how do they work together to give that sort of u- that more Holistic monitoring experience in applications.
1: Yeah, they're all very. they are different data types that support the overall observability use case. Right, there's no one size fits all. You know, it, logs are great for a certain set of use cases. Metrics are great for a different set of use cases, and traces for a different set of use cases. The way to think about it, logs—the benefit are there. It's completely unstructured. You can send completely unstructured data, um, and you literally can ask any question you want to of, of logs, and so logs are really a a fantastic uh, data type to do cause analysis, forensics, and investigation. But there are different use cases that you need in addition to investigation and forensics uh, to really do observability well. So metrics, the difference is metrics are more structured, a more structured class of data, right? You have an example, an API latency metric, uh, you've got a metric name, you've got a value. You know it's 200 milliseconds, and you may have some additional dimensions describing, you know, what customer it is or what region it's come, you know, that transaction flowed through. So it's a structured piece of data, and because it's structured, you can do uh, operations on it. It's more concise. You can do operations on it, knowing that structure much more quickly. And so, metric data is really great for doing alerting because you get, you know, time series in the structured metric format. Uh, you can. Do aggregations very quickly. You can compare against historicals uh, very easily. You can store data for very long periods of time, and so metrics are really great for problem detection. You have to do very fast problem detection. Um, looking at kind of individual components, traces uh, give you. Um, you think of it almost like a stopwatch, right? It, it times a transaction as it flows through your entire application landscape. And this is also another structured form of data because you're essentially seeing, you know, a transaction uh, as it flows through different services. You can time how long it's taking, kind of at each uh, uh, individual service. You can get uh, more concrete information and and, and uh, stack. It just get you know, better visibility in each individual service, but it gives you the east west view, right? How long does a transaction take as it flows through all the different uh, components? And so, what, where metrics are great for problem detection, traces are really great for problem isolation because you can identify where across a complex chain you have a problem. And then you can go into logs to do the forensics and investigation once you've isolated where that problem is. So, each of these data types really uh, play off of each other. And if you've got a comprehensive observability solution, you've got great metrics analysis, you've got great trace analysis, you've got great log analysis so that you can detect problems instantly with metrics, you can isolate problems very quickly with traces, and then you can investigate and root cause and do your forensics uh, very quickly and efficiently with logs. So that's kind of how you think of the what people call three pillars of monitoring data.
2: Awesome, thank you. Um, so, as someone that comes from a development background, um, I know how uh, in just the last few years the, the tools. Are every it almost feels as like though the world has completely changed from that from from that perspective. And I guess it's got to be really hard to keep on top of that from an observability perspective. So, what are the latest uh, developments with uh, observa- observability, or what is the state of the art in the world of observability at the moment?
1: Uh, th- there are lots of things. It's a, it's a, in, in a way, it's been changing a lot, but in a way, it really hasn't, right? Uh, you know, when we started SignalFX in in early 2013, our thesis was that. Um, the world of of monitoring and observability, the value had shifted from data collection to data analysis, right? Data instrumentation and data collection was just gonna become part of the open source domain and just part of just standards-based and there wouldn't be proprietary agents and just everyone would be able to get data very easily. And so then the, the problem really shifts to how do you make sense of all of that data? Now, over the last eight years, we've seen that actually happen. Uh, and probably where we've seen the most acceleration in the past like year, 18 months is in open telemetry. So open telemetry is a project, it's the second largest project in CNCF uh, behind Kubernetes. And the whole mission is to make uh, uh, telemetry instrumentation, open and standards-based. So the idea is if you're a customer, uh, you should be able to leverage open telemetry libraries, open telemetry agents, deploy them across your environment, collect information about all your systems, your middleware, your applications, uh, and collect it in a way that's standards-based so that you can then send that data to any downstream uh, open source solution, any downstream SaaS provider, um, you know, any downstream homegrown solution that you might choose to build, and and have all of those systems support it, and so your runtime is basically built in a way that is completely agnostic to over downstream business process for monitoring that you choose. Uh, so there's been a ton of momentum around it. Um, you know, we were very early on uh, embracing this. You know, and, and Splunk is is the largest contributor to open telemetry. Um, the Omniscient team, which was another acquisition that's funded in the distributed tracing space, were uh, the co-founders of OpenTelemetry. And so, uh, you know, we've kind of taken their starting point and and enhanced our contributions to Open Telemetry quite significantly. And so it's been exciting to see that uh, the industry move to embrace this concept of open standard around
0: instrumentation. Yeah, but it's so that's always one of the challenges is. You know anytime you want to do data analysis you've got to get data in from something so open Telemetry you said is it's it's the standard way that you can architect and build your application to to basically expose whether those it's the the apis that allow that data exchange is that an accurate representation
1: yeah think of it this way right if you're running uh, an uh, an application that's got a bunch of microservices and one of those microservices is uh um you know a mySqL database um you know there will be open telemetry collectors that are basically open source agents that run on that MySQL instance that will collect uh, metrics about uh, the underlying VM, the container uh, metric about MySQL. And these are all collected in an industry standard way so that if you decided to send it to Splunk or a homegrown solution or any other provider, all of the different downstream solutions should um, you know, if they're supporting open telemetry, be able to take that data without any, you know, just it's very easy to get that data into those solutions. And it's not just metrics, like it's also uh, tracing, there's a tracing standard as well. And so that if you have any transactions that flow through that MySQL instance, uh, you can have the standard, uh, you know, trace ID applied to it so that you can stitch together a trace across kind of all of the systems that are, that are leveraging this open telemetry framework. And so it makes it very easy to Uh, collect data. Now, the benefit of this being an open source project is that let's say you're developer XYZ building a new middleware system. You're probably going to build an open telemetry provider so that whoever uses your solution will automatically get metrics and traces using the hotel framework. And so if you're a customer using that solution, you just kind of, it's plug and play and ready to go. So that's essentially the future is that like every new uh, technology platform that gets built, we believe is going to be leveraging open telemetry as a framework. Uh, and so, then you, as a customer, can just get it out of the box, and you don't have to go deploy any vendor-specific technology to get that visibility.
2: Now um, we know that the signal the Signal FX acquisition took uh, place just before Conf last year, and I, for one, was super excited to see exactly what was uh, going to go on and what uh, and, and what was going to uh, occur as a result. So, can you tell us a little bit about um, how it's been going for the past year? Yeah,
1: it's been going great. We've made a ton of investments in the portfolio and have uh, continued to build uh, deeper and deeper integrations with the rest of the Splunk portfolio. The first thing that uh, we really focused on was uh, um, releasing a newer version of our microservices APM product. And so SignalFX had a distributed tracing product. We called it microservices APM. Around the same time that SignalFX was acquired by Splunk, uh, Splunk also acquired Omniscient. Uh, which had another, you know, really great uh, distributed tracing product, and so we merged those two products together and released uh, a new uh, Splunk APM solution uh, in uh, March of this year. Uh, and we're, you know, the product, the combined product, is uh, brings the best of both of those solutions together, and we've gotten really great customer feedback on it. So we're very, very excited to have been able to bring that together as quickly as we did. Uh, we're continuing to make uh, aggressive investments in kind of the core monitoring platform and kind of extensions around the monitoring platform. Uh, we've been working on uh, much deeper integrations with the Splunk portfolio and uh, stay tuned. If you uh, come to Conf,
0: you'll actually uh, hear many of
1: these announcements uh, in the next few days at Conf.
0: Nice. Well, you know, even the announcement back in March, uh, it, it it didn't go unnoticed by the industry. Obviously, you said you got great customer uh, feedback, which is you know that's where the, the proof is. But I think one of the interesting things is the, uh, the the Gartner folks kind of identified and said, "Hey, look, you're you're doing something right here." They actually put you guys in the in the magic quadrant for APM. What was it like to actually take you know the the, the team and the product and the company you'd built, bring it together with a company like Splunk and the other acquisition and omniscient? How did that feel to get that sort of uh, recognition?
1: It, it was great. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really hard to get. Uh, in the magic quadrant in the first place, but to be on the far right of the visionary quadrant our first time in, I think is a testament to kind of the vision that we have for how the whole world of EPM is changing. And it, it all comes back to that same fundamental thesis, right? Like the days of monitoring value being in a proprietary agent are gone. Like you know, New Relic, for example, just open source all of their agent technology. So even the the rest of the, the monitoring world is, I think, recognizing that the value is no longer in the agent, but it's in what you do with all of the data. And Splunk historically has, has you know, we've been a data analytics company. And uh, with the addition of um, the SignalFX core technology and the Omniscient core technology and the great applications that we built on top of it, uh, I am really excited about our ability to provide the best analytics, monitoring analytics for anyone who's interested in APM, and that's really where the problems are. And so it was really great to see Gartner essentially validate that vision that you know, yes, the world is, is moving towards uh, analysis and, and you know ingesting large volumes of, of monitoring data and making sense of it. That's really where the problem is, not in data collection.
0: Yeah I'm I'm curious how important uh you know we've traditionally talked to a lot of uh open source data analytics companies that you know everybody tends to you know immediately if you want to talk data analytics they immediately have to start talking about AI <laughs> and machine learning right mm-hmm. how how critical is that that machine learning capability is that something that that is That is being built into the platform, because as far as I understand it, and I see it when I talk with organizations that are developing applications at the scale you're talking about that are deploying them in a an abstracted microservices architecture that likely spans many clouds, multi cloud environments. You know, this this data set, you know, that the complexity is no longer human scale and to develop the rules and the, you know, to develop the, the thresholds becomes very challenging. Help me understand kind of what the, the vision for incorporating yeah. machine learning is in the strategy for becoming great at data analytics.
1: Look, I think it's very important, but I also think people have grown tired of vendors talking about ML and AI, right? So let me get very concrete about the steps involved in doing this, right? Because I think most people in monitoring and observability are still crawling, you know, not even walking, let alone running. And so at most very basic, you need you need to be able to aggregate data, right? So you've got a lot of raw data points, but in today's environments, understanding whether a single node is failing doesn't tell you anything. <laughs> I mean, single nodes are failing at Google and Netflix and Facebook all the time. It doesn't mean their sites are down. And so the only way you can really understand whether you have a problem is you have to aggregate data across clusters of systems uh you know potentially hundreds thousands of nodes and that's step one so collect and aggregate and that is you know you need a basic level of uh, analytics capability to do that so that you can calculate percentiles and aggregations very quickly then the next thing is okay now that i've done that which believe it or not a lot of people don't do the next question is how do i know when i need to pay attention to something how do i get alerted and so most people are still in static thresholds and for monitoring that might be fine but for observability, if you want to know when something has changed that might require your attention, you need to get more sophisticated. So that's where you can start to build more statistical models to tell you when something looks different. right? And so it could be uh, anomaly detection, outlier detection. Now, how are those algorithms determined? Like You can determine it statically or you can determine it dynamically. That's kind of the next step. But look at the signal and determine, does this particular signal have a time of day pattern? Does it have a you know, uh, no specific pattern at all. And like, how do we apply the right algorithm based on kind of what we see the patterns being? That's kind of taking it to another level. And uh, then, you know, you get an alert uh, and let's say you get an alert on an act, you know, P99 latency is very high for a Monday morning with this particular service. Now I need to unpack it. How do I figure out, you know, what's actually contributing to the long tail performance? You know, and usually you go and you start slicing and dicing and split the data by customer, or by region or by host to see is there any smoking gun. Well, that's the sort of stuff that you can automate. You know if you've got the data analysis going in the background, you can surface patterns and say, you know the one percent outliers all have this one customer in common, or they all have this one particular host in common, and that's what we call direct troubleshooting. That's another place where you can really leverage analytics. And so in each of these different parts of the of the of, you know the flow, you can apply analytics, you can apply statistical models uh, to provide customers a better way of navigating to the problem and remediating the problem. And then where ML and AI start to come in is you can do that more dynamically and have it be more intelligent and learn on the fly, right, versus just a static policy, but most people are still doing very basic stuff, like looking at a single metric or a single signal and alerting if it's over a static threshold. And so start with the rest of it. And then once you get that workflow in place, then you can start to leverage ML and AI to make those policies even more intelligent over time. That's how we think about it.
2: Now uh, we've touched a little bit on a conf already and what we can uh, look to expect uh, there, but could you give us some uh, more of your, uh, thoughts as to what you're particularly looking forward to at dot com for this year
1: uh usually it's it's you know for me two things i'm really excited about the observability super session we've got a lot of great announcements in the observability space that we've been working on uh you know working very hard on for the past year so uh, come join that session i think it's going to be really exciting uh and then the other is just i love talking to customers and obviously they're going to be virtual conversations this year but still looking forward to having those conversations with. Uh, many of our happy and excited customers
0: oh very cool well I'll tell you what Karthik, it's been it's been great to actually get a to get a primer on observability to understand what is state of the art and where is the industry going i'm I'm super excited to see the adoption of open source uh, on the data collection framework so I think that's a, a powerful tool to make it easier to get data in and really the winners it sounds like are going to be those that provide the greatest data analytics capabilities for really modern monitoring in this, uh, in this new world of IT. So we appreciate the time. Before we let you go, we want to have a little fun and ask you some questions that we like to call rapid fire. We've learned a lot about
1: our guests today, but now it's time to get a bit more personal in a segment we like to call rapid fire.
0: Art Karthik, your first rapid fire question. What has been the most productive thing that you've done during the COVID pandemic?
1: Some might call it productive, some might not, but we got a puppy.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. That's fun. You mm-hmm. got to tell us what kind of puppy did you get? It's a Bernese Mountain Dog puppy. grown
1: from 14 oh. pounds when we got her to now almost 100 pounds.
0: Oh, those are months. absolutely <laughs> beautiful dogs. That's, uh, that's one of my top favorite. We had a great Pyrenees for many years. Similar sort of build and size. You'll have hair everywhere. Good luck to your yeah. vacuum cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, uh, have you been reading any books lately that you would uh, recommend to our listeners?
1: Yeah, great book, uh, Spillover by David Quammen. It's, uh, it's about the history of infectious diseases and spilling over from animals and humans. So, very relevant to what we're all going through today. Great read, reads very quickly, and he's a great author.
0: Nice. Well, you know, speaking of uh, <laughs> viruses, we've, uh, we've had a lot more time at home lately. Is there any shows, you know, Netflix shows or anything that you're watching that have uh, that you thought have been awesome?
1: You know, honestly, I've just, uh, I've been binging on NBA basketball. I've just missed live sports so much. It's uh, nice to be able to to see that and NBA playoffs, Are you a Golden so State guy. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, so I'm a Lakers fan. So it's great to see the oh. Lakers
0: doing well again. Very cool. Uh, what's your favorite piece of technology right now?
1: Um, well, I haven't used it yet, but I'm very excited. I'm on, um, I've just put an order in for the Oculus uh, Quest 2. Uh, try out the whole virtual reality craze, and uh, I'm not a gamer, but hopefully there will be more non-gaming use cases there. But excited to yeah. try that out.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm this close to buying a VR headset, but it's only because uh for iRacing, I really I don't have <laughs> room for all the monitors. I, you, I I've got this set up, the simulator, and it takes up so much room that I don't want to, like, I don't want to have to deal with it, and I really just want that tiny thing that you strap on your head, but you get that immersive experience, so let me know how it goes. Uh, okay, so we haven't been able to travel much. I know in your role at uh, at Splunk, you really probably spend a lot of time out in front of customers and events and stuff like that, but when we can travel again, where are you going first?
1: Uh, I think my wife and I would love to, we'd love to go anywhere, else, to get, get out a little bit, but I'd love to go to Hawaii. I love Hawaii, the big island in particular, and we're close here in the Bay Area, so uh,
0: relatively close, but can't drive there, so love to fly yeah, absolutely. there when things settle. Absolutely. Now, where can folks keep up with you on social media?
1: Uh, I'm I'm not a heavy social media user, but uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, find me on Twitter, uh, K-R-R-A-U on Twitter. Um,
0: so yeah, Those are places to find me. Well, awesome. Well, Karthik, it's been super awesome to hear from you about observability and what Splunk is doing to lead the way in that space. And I want to say thank you again to the team at Splunk for sponsoring the Big Data Beards virtual race to .conf. Everybody be sure to tune into the races. If you missed anything, you can go to bigdatabeard.com forward slash VR2C. Check out all the great broadcasts and make sure you punch that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the great podcasts that we've got coming as part of this great series. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast on our virtual race to dot-conf 2020. For more
2: information and to see all of the virtual race content, check out bigdatabeard.com forward slash vr2c. Special thanks to our partners, Splunk, Dell Technologies, Red River, Hippo Digital, Intel, Arrow, and McLaren.